The New Testament reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 14, beginning at verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the hosts who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. If you can keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 14, let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God. We thank you that your words have power to create new life, breathe new life um, to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I should, but I've never taken French, and so if I get this name wrong, I'm sorry. If you know French, I um, apologize. But um, this guy named Alain de Botton, something, um, his, he wrote a book um, in 2007, I think it was, um, called uh, Status Anxiety. Status Anxiety. I mean, he defines status anxiety as this, a worry so pernicious to be capable of ruining extended stretches of our lives that we are in danger of failing to conform to the ideals of success laid down by our society, that we may, as a result, be stripped of dignity and respect, and a worry that we are currently occupying too modest a wrong, a wrong or are about to fall to a lower one, and from failure will flow humiliation, a corroding awareness that we have been unable to convince the world of our value, and henceforth condemned to consider uh, consider the successful with bitterness and ourselves with shame. In short, he's talking about a worry about uh, the people have uh, that we're not being recognized for our worth, for our value, that we would fall to a lower status, and that will make us bitter towards people who are more successful, and shame um, to uh, for for ourselves. It's an excellent book written by a non-Christian, actually an atheist philosopher, about something that afflicts so many of us. I mentioned how the Hong Kong society seems, to, seems so status conscious. Um, I've mentioned this before, but you know, I bank at HSBC. And this, of course, um, for most of us, there is the, uh, the normal HSBC experience. But then there is the HSBC advanced with the shorter lines. And then far off in the corner in my branch, I can see the HSBC premiere. It's like a lounge in there. It's like lit up with um, um, fancy lights, and it looks like there's sofa and coffee and things um, in there. There seems to be magical things that's going on over there, and this is all around us. There are so many status symbols in Hong Kong, Um, handbags or BMWs or Mercedes-Benz. It's all around us. 
But what seems to be even more baffling to me with these cars is presence of so many Lamborghinis and Ferraris because the roads are so short and the traffic is always so congested. There is no way these cars can perform the way that they're designed to. But of course, these Lamborghinis and Ferraris are never meant to go from point A to point B as fast as you could. That's not about what that's about. It's about status. It's a status symbol to say that I am rich, I'm wealthy. And they, people work and live here in this city to elevate their status. They worry that they would lose their status once they get there. This problem is particularly pronounced in Hong Kong, but it doesn't only occur in Hong Kong. It is everywhere. And it actually was in Jesus' days as well. Take a look at these guests. Jesus is invited to a house of a prominent Pharisee uh, for a Sabbath meal. He goes in and notices all the guests scrambling to get the honor seat, to get the best seat. Um, They want status and honor. And seeing this, Jesus makes this situation, an awkward situation already, unbearably awkward. He starts telling this parable in verse 8. When somebody invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give, uh, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have, you'll have to take the least important place. Can you imagine? Once again, these are people who went into this feast and they scrambled to get the place of honor. And this is the thing that Jesus says. Can you imagine what was going on in their minds? They're all probably asking at that point, is he talking about me? Is somebody going to come to me and say, actually, you don't belong there. You should sit over there. And Jesus continues in verse 10. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he'll say to your friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the guests. Seeking status, wanting to be important, to appear important. This is a human desire and this is a human problem. And Jesus appeals to wisdom. He says, be wise. Don't go for the honored seat, partly because you might just be humiliated if you do. As soon as we start bragging about how well we did it on the exam for the students, somebody else might say, well, actually, I got a perfect score. As soon as we start telling people how much money we have, I mean, there will be somebody somebody else who's richer. As soon as we start bragging about how our children are doing so well, You'll run into somebody whose children are doing even better. Jesus says, don't flaunt. Keep quiet. That's just a wise thing to do. Seek the low place so you might be honored. Be wise, he says. And that's a sound advice. But Jesus gives actually another reason why humility is a matter of wisdom. He takes that a bit farther, doesn't he? This, in fact, is much more important than what he's about to say. Verse 11. This is why it's wise. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is appealing to wisdom, but wisdom that comes from having the, a different perspective. He's saying something about the judgment. He's saying something about how he will judge He's saying, be wise and live with that judgment in mind. Be wise and live uh, with the end time that will come in mind. 
when he comes again, he will exalt the humble. And those who will exalt themselves, he will humiliate, he says. And this is a consistent principle that we see in the Gospel of Luke. Mary, do you remember the song that she sang? Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in, in God my, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Again and again, Luke tells us that Jesus came for the poor, for the downtrodden, the hungry, the sick, and the lepers, uh, women, uh, tax collectors, people who are on on the outside. Those who are humble here on earth, Jesus says, he will lift them up. Those who exalt themselves, he will humiliate when his kingdom comes. So don't seek to be honored. Don't seek um, uh, the, 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 the best seat. Seek the lower seat, he says. Be wise. And, you know, it's something that we hear again and again in the church and in many, many places. But isn't it amazing how we forget to live like this? We live as if this world is all there is. We continue to forget that the world as we see it now will not always be like this. We forget that the kingdom of God is coming. It will suddenly come, that it has already arrived. So friends, this world and this city are all about elevation of status. This world is trying to move up, schmoozing with the rich and the powerful in the hopes of catching some of their power and fame. People try so hard to be popular, to get into good school so they can get good jobs to gain status so that they could be somebody, so that they could claim the honored seat. But you see, Jesus says, the world, this world, as we know it, isn't the end. In fact, it's positively foolish to live for elevation of status. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is, the matter, this is a matter of wisdom. Live with his coming in mind. But as we were discussing this um, on Thursday um, with the staff, the English people, there are not three of them here um, in the church, all the English people said this would never, the picture that Jesus uh, 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 showed us here would never happen in England. First, if somebody sat in the honored seat in England, Somebody, that, uh, somebody who's sitting in the honor seat, um, where you're supposed to sit, no one would ever come to you. They would just look at this person with extreme awkwardness, but they wouldn't be able to go and confront that person. They wouldn't be able to say, could you actually move to a different seat? This, that would be just way too awkward for the, uh, for the English people. And secondly, uh, the English wouldn't take the honor seat. I mean, something like this is so ingrained in their culture that the, the, the possibility of humiliation is just so big that they wouldn't go for the honor, honored seat. They would never seek to gain honor in themselves, uh, by themselves. The point is that one could look humble, but not be humble. Two people could be going for the lower seat, but with completely different motives. They might want to, some might want to appear humble so that they would be exalted. So this brings us to a very important point. What's the motivation? How can we actually be humble? Why should we be humble? 
And can we actually truly achieve some, uh, this sort of humility? And as we go, I think this is important to recognize that actually humility, true humility, is very, very difficult to achieve. How can we genuinely prefer other people's needs over our own? How can we genuinely not think and be calculating of what other people might think of us as we do these things? And just seek the humble seat with no other motivation. How can we stop making the world about us and make the world about others? And once again, in that book, Status Anxiety, the button points out why this might be so difficult. And I think he's right on when he says about this, about human nature. He writes, The attention of others mattered to us because we are afflicted by a congenital uncertainty as to our own value. As a result of which affliction, we tend to allow others' appraisal to play a determining role in how we see ourselves. Our sense of identity is held captive by the judgments of those who live among us. See what he's saying? He says the problem is we don't really know how to value ourselves, how to judge our value. And so we judge our value based on what people, what other people think of us. That's why, um, why other people's opinions are so important. This is why status is so important because uh, what they think of us goes to the core of what we think of ourselves. Our status determines who we are. And if this is the case, how can actually one be any, how can anybody be humble when our identity, the core of our being is determined by what other people think of us? Money isn't just money. It's much more. It's who we are. How we, um, which school we went to, which job that we have, how we're being perceived by our colleagues and friends, how, job, uh, how, how, how good, uh, how well our children are doing in school. That's not just about the children, the job, or the school. It's about who we are, how we think of ourselves, how we value ourselves, how we judge ourselves. How then can we be humble when so much is at stake? In some ways, I just don't think we can. I don't think um, we can as long as our, uh, what we think of ourselves is held captive by other people's judgments. I think true humility can only happen when your status is secure. When we can truly think about ourselves less and others more, only if we know that we are loved and accepted already. And this seems paradoxical, but just give it a, 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 a few more thoughts here. I think this is why we see two kinds of very successful people. Some successful people, people, their heads get way too big. They start believing they should be the center of attention in any setting that they go into, any room that they uh, walk into. And they, um, they, when they're not recognized as important, they are furious. This is because who they are depends on other people's recognition of their success. They're still insecure. They still need the accolades. Their identity depends on it. But you see some other successful people who manage to at least seem humble. They find it easier, I think, to yield their seat, honor seat. I, mean, I think this is a bit like... Um, when a truly great tennis player p- plays uh, with um, his student, 
He can lose once in a while because his identity doesn't depend on winning or beating this student. Um, they're secure in who they are. They don't need those accolades anymore. And I hope you're trying to see what I'm trying to get at. Um, Christians are uniquely positioned to be humble because we are a secure people. Christians can forget about what others think of us. We can even forget ourselves because we have all the recognition that we need from God. Because God thinks so highly of us in Christ Jesus. We are so loved and so secure that we don't have to think about ourselves anymore. We don't have to scramble always to get to the top, always trying to connect with people who are a little bit better off than us, trying to get a little bit more status, because God has exalted us. Our sense of identity isn't held captive by what others think of us, because it's held captive by Christ, what he thinks of us. What he, um, what he sees has determined our value, how we see ourselves. And he has exalted the humble. When I, thought, when I thought I wasn't worth anything, God has lifted me up. When God's son's ring, robe, and sandals are mine to wear, and when he tells me that his kingdom is mine, other people's opinions matter less. I don't need to think about that anymore. So I can make the world about others and about God. You see, I think that's how you can be humble. If you are secure in God's love, in your identity, in what God thinks of us. So somebody, if you're a lawyer and somebody, a better lawyer comes along and all your lawyer friends praise you, praise this person for being, for being such a good lawyer. You don't have to go, this is a criticism about me and how bad I am as a lawyer. It's not about you. Right? It's no longer, it, it doesn't have to be about you. You can accept the praises of other people and be glad for those praises because it's not about us anymore. We can join in in the praise of others. We can forget about ourselves and live, start living for others and for God. True humility comes out of overflow, that being secure in the love of God. We have all that we need in Christ already. So we can yield honor, face, and glory. It's okay when others are praised and preferred because we have all the status and recognition that we need from God. In the end, in other words, we can be genuinely humble. Christians can be genuinely humble because of the gospel, because this is the gospel experience. Most of us, I think, if we walk into a... a, wedding banquet or something, and you know that there's sort of a pecking order of importance. But we don't think that we deserve, most of us don't deserve, don't think that we deserve the, the head table. We don't think that. We're, we're not great. Um, and we, we, we think that we, middle, we, we, we belong somewhere in the middle. We're not great, but really there are people who are far worse than us in the world. I don't, we don't think that we should sit at the a very end of the table either. So imagine, if, you're, if you think, you walk in and you go, well, I'll, that, that's not where I belong. I, sort, I should sit somewhere in the middle. And so you make your way over there. But imagine, when the, uh, as you're sitting down, the host coming out and telling you, finding you, and telling you in front of all others who have been invited, 
and says to you, actually, that seat isn't for you either. You're not actually good enough even for that seat. You're far worse than you thought. You don't deserve even this one. This sounds like the most horrible thing in the world. But, you know, that is the gospel experience, isn't it? Have we not all been convicted in our lives that a rage that is in a murderer's heart is actually in us, in ours also? Haven't we all been convicted that the lust that we see in serial adulterer is actually in us? That there is adultery in our minds time after time? Haven't we all been convicted in that insufferable pride that we see in these big-headed people? Actually, how that flares up in us as somebody snubs us, as somebody jabs at us. It's in us. Haven't we realized that the selfishness that exists in people who cut lines and people do, that cheat people for, for their own gain, who seem to think that the world revolves around them, to a degree, it's in us also. Isn't that like the first thing that you learn? People tell me that when you get married, this is the first thing that you learn, how selfish you are. This is the gospel experience. The revelation that, the revelation that we are sinners, that we don't deserve even the middle seat. We might not act on them, but they are there, underlying all our actions, and we can't get rid of these things by ourselves. So when the host says, actually, you don't deserve even the middle seat, we see why this is the case. The gospel make us, makes us realize that we're more sinful than we dare to think. But thankfully, that's not the end of the gospel story, is it? Imagine then, precisely at the moment of your, your humiliation, Jesus walks over to you and to the host. Jesus, who sat at the head table... He then says, you should take my seat, my seat's over there. With all the saints of heaven and angels, archangels, you should sit with them. You should sit in the honored seat, and I will take your seat. The gospel also tells us that we're more loved than we could ever dare to imagine. And the reason why we're exalted is because Jesus Christ was humiliated We can sit where Jesus would sit because he has given us his place of honor because he took ours. This is a gospel experience and Christians can be humble because we are a people who have received that sort of grace, honor from God. We're people who are marked and shaped by that story and by what Christ has done for us. As we think about this, as we end it, friends, don't make your life about elevation of status. It's foolish. Be humble. It's the wise thing to do. Live with the end in mind. Live with the, 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 the knowing that Jesus will come back. Be humble also, because you don't need to prove yourselves anymore. You don't have to earn your status anymore because Christ has exalted you. You have become someone already. We don't need all these attention. We can give it to others because Christ gives us his. 
And friends, be humble because Jesus has exalted you by giving up his seat, giving us what he deserves, and taking upon himself what we deserve. Be humble because that's the Lord that we serve. That's the Lord who's given us our status as children of God. Let's pray together.